This is Marching In, a brand new Southampton FC podcast hosted by me, Luke Innes, and Sam Apperton. Music is from the immensely talented Lawrence Norton. We would really appreciate a follow on Spotify and on Twitter, where you can find us at Marching In Pod. Welcome to episode five of Marching In. It is Monday, the 11th of October. We're recording in the international break. And as ever, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Sam Appleton. How are you doing, Sam? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm good. All the better for seeing you. And our third host sort of sharing the floor with a third uh, person need to get used to that um we are delighted to be joined by uh, lifelong southampton supporter uh soccer coach in the states paul cox how you doing paul i'm all right mate how are you that was a great american accent as well <laughs> yeah i uh, i haven't practiced i promise um yeah, I'm good. And I thought it'd be good for the listeners to get a little bit of background as to, to you, who you are. Um, I've touched on the fact that you you coach football, which is very exciting. Someone that hopefully has a bit more <laughs> tactical insight than me and Sam do, which is nice. Um, but yeah, so it would be good to get a little intro for the listeners, if you can, can take that away. Yeah, so obviously lifelong Saints fan, like you said, um, went to school with you two. I was a year above you both, I think, and John Anson. Um, used to go to the Dell with Sam. Our dad used to take us down, get autographs outside the Dell, in the Dell, where they had the, kind of that ramp. Out. I don't know what end that was, but it was where the players came out. Um, played for a development centre for a couple of years, got released, because slow. <laughs> um, and then played youth football throughout, you know, Andover, the district area, Newbury, uh, Whitchurch, and then ended up... Um, in the US 13 years ago, it was just originally started out to play. And then um, I got into coaching at the university level and it's quite a big deal. It's mad, like the amount of money that's involved in the university, soccer, football, whatever. And then ended up coming back in 2013, did a master's degree out here, which I thought was baffling. So I almost left Johnson at 16. And then, um, <laughs> And then just got into the coaching world. And then in 2014, I think it was, connected with Saints doing some, um, it was like global education they wanted to do. I saw they, they released something on, online. I think it was in a daily echo or something that they were releasing a program in the US to improve coaches and players. And they were looking for partner clubs. And I had just taken over a club um, in small town, Nebraska. It was really a really small town, but then we ended up working with them, implementing kind of, the academy curriculum, but kind of like watered down because the, the difference in qualities were completely different. And then um, I stopped doing that role three years ago. Uh, ended up uh, becoming a head coach at university in Iowa for three years. And then I left there in December and I'm now here in Kentucky working as an assistant 
um, for an NCAA Division One team. So they're kind of the, when you think of US sports, that's kind of the top. I was with it in NAI school and I won't bore you with the details of the difference. It was still a decent level, but it'd be like going from the head coach of Barnet and going to be the assistant for Saints. Like that would, that's kind of the best way I could kind of describe it. You're going from yeah. a, a lower level and coming into being an assistant for a, a better team and stuff. So, or a higher level team. Yeah. So that's, me, I guess, in a nutshell. Lovely, Paul. I've watched enough Last Chance You to get a feel for the uh, yeah American sort of sports system. Go on. There's a guy. Um, I've I've not I've seen the first series, but there's one guy from that show that's at our university now. No idea who he is, but I've know a lot of people that mention. Oh, that's him from Last Chance You. Yeah. I would on the ass. Yeah. American football is not my thing, but that documentary is really fucking good, actually. Uh, and they've done a basketball one, which is probably less interesting than the uh, American football one. Yeah, um, well, Coxie, wonderful to have you here. I haven't seen your face in in many moons. So, yeah, just uh, just nice to catch up. And uh, and we can talk all things Saints. How much how much footy do you get to watch from the from the Premier League out there? The coverage out here is amazing. To be quite honest, yeah, with you. I thought it was much. NBC cover every game, um, so they they get everything. The only the only problem that I kind of run into is the kickoff time. So like obviously the twelfth, I'm six hours behind. So the twelve thirties are at half six in the morning, and it kind of conflicts with the schedule a little bit um, that we have out here. But they, every game's covered. Every game's on demand. Um, I've just struggled because we're in the middle of our season right now, so. I've seen snippets of our game. Like I watched the Chelsea game on the bus, the other, on the coach on the way to our game. And we, you know, we're fortunate we've got like cable, like whatever on the bus. I was able to watch the game mm. on the bus. It was, it was fine, but um, the coverage is great. The pundits are a bit weird, to be honest. I think Sam, I've had this conversation with you before. Like, so you've got Rebecca Lowe, who does the main presenting and she's married to Paul Buckle. He helps at Saints, I think, under 23s with Ray Jaydee. So you've got Rebecca Lowe as the presenter and then the three pundits are Tim Howard, who just came in last season, and then the other two are Robbie Earl and Robbie Musto. Most, just two bang average 90s midfielders. <laughs> and it's just, like, why are we listening to these two clowns? They got that, and then Danny Higginbottom came on last year, but he seems to have gone missing. And then the commentators, you've got Arlo White, and then every, they have done co-commentary as Lee Dixon and... Um, Graham Lasso. Wow. Yeah, there's some just... I mean, those two have got a little bit more credibility than Earl and Musto, but... <laughs> it's just... Sort of, that needs to improve. Paul, wonderful to have you on. We're going to... Um, you mentioned the Chelsea game. We're going to start there. We've got a lot to get through. We're obviously in the middle of an international break. We've got a big game against Leeds coming up. Um, but, Samuel, I'll hand the reins over to you for this one. How did you see this this performance it was almost typical of our season so far wasn't it we just I mean we looked pretty good at times I mean the first half was a bit of a struggle and then at half time Ralph changed this back to the system that we had at Sheffield United with Walcott being hooked at half time for the second time this season I think and then Romain being pushed back into a back three and yeah it was going pretty well for 20 minutes and obviously the red card happened and then you, you sort of be back against the wall against a team as good as Chelsea. You're down to 10 men. 
Yeah, it just seemed to we make it difficult for ourselves. I mean, you go into a place like Stamford Bridge, almost your first rule is don't, I mean, don't concede from a set piece. It just, and, and, and then you're up against it from the get-go when Chalamet scores. And then we did pretty well to get into half-time 1-0, to be honest. I mean, it looked, it probably was a foul Walker-Peters for that disallowed goal for Werner. But it didn't half go a long way. The move didn't half go on a bit until was brought back to give the free kick. So I, thought, I thought it was pretty soft to be honest. And then I'd have been fuming, I think, if that was yeah, yeah, the possibly. other way around. I couldn't believe how far they'd gone back in the ground. I mean it did it did feel bizarre. It felt like longer than it probably was in real time, but I was so surprised they went back that far. Yeah, massively. And then second half begins as I said, we change the shape, start to come into the game a bit more. And Livermento just absolutely does Chilwell, doesn't he? And wins the penalty, get back to 1 1. We're looking really good. Probably looking at that point, probably good for a point at least. And then, then the unfortunate red card happens. I'm sure we'll discuss the decision on that. But yeah, it was, it was a hard task from there, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, well, well summed up, Sam. Uh, what, what to add? I'd say that at 1 1, pre the red card, we had a few moments where I thought, you know what, we're properly in this now. And they were struggling to get out. And obviously we reverted to, we started a second half and continued the second half up until the sending off, I guess, with a three-man defence. We continued with it after the sending off, but that was what we did. And I actually thought that for large parts of that early bit of the second half, we, were, we looked decent. But yeah, I mean, we, we know our troubles when we go down to 10 men or even playing 10 men. And it did feel relatively inevitable that we would lose the game once that happened. We can sort of pause on the the red card decision there. How did you both see it? I don't know. Like the game's changing so much and the rules are changing and it changes everyone's perspective on everything. You just question everything. For me, next if it happens next week, yeah. If it happens a week after that, no. It's just, I don't know, you guys say, it's just, you'll see it again happen next week and nothing will happen of it. But for me, I'd have to see it again. I'm going to Google it. I mean, it's when you I'm, slow it down. I think you're probably going to say the same thing, right, Sam? But it, it, that that's the key problem with VAR. And I appreciate, I, I don't know the different view that maybe we get with VAR compared to what the referee sees. But when you slow that down, it looks a lot worse than it did in real time. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's been sent to the screen to see us. I mean, from, from what I saw, he's he was he's been sent to the screen to show to see the slowed down image of the tackle. And when you see that slowed down image of the tackle, you think red card. I mean, I probably err on the side of it was a red card. It's not as as soon as he goes to the screen, there's only one piece to happen. Mike Dean said in Martin Atkinson's ear, it's a red card. And then, yeah, I mean. You can't blame him for going for the ball. Did he need to go in as hard as he did? Probably not. But if he wins the ball there, then we'll, from Jorginho, the ball passes for and got. So you want him to go for it, don't you? Because we were pressing. I think is it Mendy that plays the ball into Jorginho? Yeah. And it's that like key trigger. It seems for then <laughs> JWP to fucking fly into him. But like it, it, that's exactly what you'd want him to do. And again, when you slow it down. It just just looks awful. I mean, it does look pretty bad when you sew it down. 
on second review, Coxie, any anything to add? Yeah, the still image looks bad, but again, like, is that the rules? They can make it as slow as possible. And like Sam said, as soon as it goes to VAR and it goes to the monitor, there's only one thing that's going to happen. I feel like if you slow a lot of things down, it looks bad. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not fuming, I'm not fuming about it. Like, I guess it is what it is. But and again, like, I think, I think the other thing too with with this, especially. And so I think we spoke about it over text message. I think where we could impact the game there is the sub that needs to come on was Stuart Armstrong. That yeah. should have, that should have been the adjustment. I know he's been injured, but you don't put him on the bench for a game if he can't contribute. Otherwise, just don't put him on there. And at that point, the guy covers more ground than anyone. It's like a whip it with a new set of teeth, as my old mum would say. Like, that was a time to bring him on. Just compact it in because he got sent off in what the seventy. Third, 77th minute. Yeah. yeah bring him on. Like that, yeah. Bring him on. Sit in and play for a point. If we don't get a point and we lose 2-1, fair enough. And even if we did go 2-1 down at that, well, like we did, but if he was on, we have a greater chance of scoring with him on the field, on the pitch than without him. And actually just getting us out of any areas, as you say, covers so much ground. He's the one player from any sort of deep position, probably any position that can actually drive with the ball and run with it. And it was just inevitable. We had no no out ball. We we sunk in. And interestingly, probably one of the best performances I've seen with a team with 10 men was two shawls away at Liverpool. I don't know how much you both saw of that game. Yeah. But he completely restructured the team to say, look, we are going to sit in now. And we have then got those players that maybe could carry the ball. Like a mount, for instance, you know, on the break, it was very clear what the strategy was. Whereas... I think it was just like, fucking hell, we, we know we're going to lose it. That's, you know, I, I didn't really see what we were doing to combat the inevitable. Yeah, it just shows what we're up against as well. The fact they're bringing on a player who's barely had a kick for them in the past, what, two, three years and Ross Barkley. And he comes on and plays a brilliant pass across to us, Blaquetta, and that, that's, what, that's, the thing that opened, that's what opens us up. And then, and then we're 2-1 down and you're in massive trouble from there. I mean, what, one thing I will say is... I'm, I'm probably his biggest critic, Alex McCarthy, but he made some bloody good saves in that game. That save from Vernon he made through his um, just above his head, it's probably the, one of the best saves I've ever oh. seen him make. It's unbelievable. It was so good. And actually, you know, I guess we're kind of talking a lot post-red card, but I thought, I actually thought on the ball, Tino probably had one of his weaker games for us, bar what he did for the penalty, which was class. But Mohamed Salisu, and we sort of, I guess, wrote off our, our centre-backs against Lukaku, bar a couple of moments where he, he got the better of the both of them in holding it up. I must admit, again, kind of being there live, I thought Mohamed Salisu was excellent. Bednarek less so, but I just wanted to call that out. I thought he had a really, really good game. And is for me... Sort of progressing into the player we thought we bought, you know, over like Definitely, well, what yeah. was it? Yeah, a year ago, longer than a year ago now. Who would who would be your guys's like if we played four four two, two of our centre backs, who are you playing? If everyone's fit. Everyone's fit. I'd probably say Stevens and Salisa at the moment, just because I don't think I think Stevens start started the season well. And he's a he's a bit of a leader, whereas I've never been a bad direct fan. Leandro less said about him from what I saw the better. And then 
Salisu looks really exciting. It's really commanding. And he's only going to get better. And yeah, when when Stevens is fit, I would I would start him as Salisu. I'd have to agree with that in answer to your question, Coxie. But and maybe we can delve into you know from a tactical perspective at some point throughout this chat. Now you know how, how you see things. I would say across the course of the season, I think we've had our strongest moments when we haven't been playing that system and I think at half time Ralph made the move to bring Benrek on against United uh, we slotted into a back three at times against City and showed pretty good control there I thought we played our best football of the of the game against Chelsea when we reverted to that back three it's obviously not Oriol Romeo's best position to be the middle of a back three but you know, how wedded Ralph is to this situ- to, to that formation and to the kind of situation it, it creates where I think we at times are really exposed. I, I, I don't know if we should play that, but if it's a 4-2-2-2, two, 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 then it, I, I think it has to be Stevens and Salisu. That's one of my biggest, kind of you touched on it there, that's been my biggest pet peeve, I think, of Ralph. is like, there's never been like a contingency. He's very like adamant on playing a 4-2-2-2. Two, two, two. I've got a lot of respect for that because he has a system he wants the way he wants to play, but I don't think we've got the players to play it, to be quite honest. But then I think with a three, Luke, like, kind of like you said, with the Romeo, is a, I mean, he's not a centre-back, barely a centre-midfielder in my, my opinion, but um, <laughs> I know. Um, but I think if you're going to play three at the back, your weak or like your less technical player has to play in the middle of the three because the right centre-back and the left centre-back are helping you play out, like breaking lines, playing the entry balls forward, whereas that central one is breaking it up and giving it to them. Kind of basically what a holding midfielder does in midfield three. Breaks it up, gives it to somebody else. So I think that's why Romeo suits that, but he should, that should never be a permanent fixture of our team. No, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. And I I don't know whether I'm kind of looking back at with, with rose tinted glass here, but I actually thought, you talk about things like breaking the lines and playing that, sort of positive pass forward. I, I used to think that Jan Bednarek was pretty good at that. And I'm now not quite sure where his skill set is as a centre-back. Yeah, I think that you know, I think that United game knocked his confidence a lot when he's obviously the only guard with a red card the game when to. <laughs> and, I mean, I've never been overly convinced with Bednarek. I think he's done come into the team and done a solid job. But he's always, I think he's always needed someone better with him. So when he's in the when when he's in defence with like a, a Stevens, who's I mean Stevens is never going to be a world beater. When Vestergaard was at his best, that's when Bednarek was at his best, and uh, and there's a reason for that because he's got someone next to him that he can depend on. And he knows he's going to do do that job for him. They're bringing the ball out. I don't think, and, and as Coxie said, Bednarek isn't that player. I don't know if either of you have caught much of the stuff from Martin, the Martin Simmons interview with Total Saints pod. Shout out to a, yeah, certainly not a rival pod, friend <laughs> of ours, uh, Total Saints pod. But he, I mean, look, I, I think he talked a lot of guff within it, but he focused so heavily on how much we've got right defensively this season. I, I feel like we are, as a, as a team, maybe a little bit more solid than, than we were. I'm not saying that everything that Simmons said there is, is correct on how much we have corrected defensively. And the reason why I brought that up, and you, you touch on Vestergaard, Sam, is that Leicester have got some bloody problems with Vestergaard and, and Bertrand uh, in, in their back line. And I'm starting to think potentially were both of those more of the problem 
Again, I'm kind of commenting on how good is Bednarek as a centre-back. I think the jury is very much still out, but I think we have seen an improvement, whether it's Perrault at left-back or Carl Walker-Peters at left-back, to, to what we had last year. And maybe that is just a personnel thing rather than, as Simmons, I think, seemed to sort of allude to, they've really focused on kind of getting it right as a, as a structural thing. I don't know what either, either of you got thoughts on that. That's an interesting point on Leicester, by the way. I hadn't thought, like, I've been realising that Leicester have struggled a little bit. Um, I don't know if they're missing, like, like Fafana. He's out for the season, isn't he? He had a pretty bad injury. Yeah, and Charlie yeah. Evans is out as well, isn't he? So I did a little bit of, like I told you before we got on, like, did a little bit of research into kind of the way we scout teams here. And just, I was interested to see if, so basically what, kind of what I do is I break down 10 minutes at each game. And in those 10 minute periods, how many goals are conceded. So I did it for this season. And I did it for this calendar year. This season, nine of the 10 goals we've conceded have been in the second half. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that until today. Apart from the one goal, I can't remember the one goal. Chalaba. Yeah, no. yeah, against Chelsea, yeah. So, and then four of those, four of those 10 have come in the last 10 minutes. So, which I think is like, I then, so for me, I think defensively, I think you can get the, the tactical side of it right in terms of like, positioning all that sort of thing but then does it come down to that we've got a little bit of like we're a frailty to it we're a little bit vulnerable that we're conceding so many goals late in a game so then when I looked when I looked a little bit further into it like for this whole calendar year we conceded 35 of 55 in the second half 13 of 55 in the last 10 minutes that's 23 round up 24 percent of the goals we've conceded this calendar year have come in the last 10 minutes and I, I didn't go into enough details. Go, did we end up losing or drawing a game like that? Or did we blow a lead? But that's that's something that's got to change. And I don't know. That's something that has to happen. I think internally. I don't know how they fix that. And then twenty four of twenty four of fifty five have come in the last thirty minutes of a game, so forty four percent. So in the second half, something happens, and I think that's where a manager win. You know, that's how they keep their job. They, those time frames are when you're making substitutions. They're where you're making decisions to win and lose a game and something that you need to kind of hang your hat on. Kind of alluded to it with a red card. You know, there's an Armstrong. Hindsight's 2020 though, isn't it? Bring an Armstrong on, can we get a point? But I think over the course of the year, I think in the key moments of the game, we've given up a lead. I think we're the kings of giving up a two-goal lead. Definitely went off on a tangent from your question, but there's that. <laughs> I like it. I like it, Coxie. Sam's got something to say. I've uh, I've certainly got something to say on that as well. You wonder if it's, if it's a concentration thing, a fitness thing, a lack of depth in the squad because no one to bring on. But yeah, it's just been a concern for a long time. I remember, I mean, the amount of times we've played Wolves over the last couple of seasons, there's always a, a case of we take the lead. And they're, they're always a very good second half team. I know we've obviously played a few weeks ago and that, but it just always sticks in my mind that they always seem to come back against us because they play well in the second half. They react to games. We don't react to games. Or, the, or there's any bit of um, any bit of negativity or something happens to, against us. We sort of, we just take take it take it so badly. Don't react to it very well. Yeah, it's just been a, a problem for a long time. So what to say on this? I think maybe one of the most obvious causes would be to point to the style of football that Hassan Hüttel wants us to play. And, you know, I think others 
more probably uh, in, in the know than I certainly speak to if you play such an aggressive pressing game from minute one, will, will it occur that you just naturally drop off, lack concentration, lack shape late in a game is the most obvious answer, the, the correct one in, in that front. And that is where, again, he is so wedded to that system we, we kind of lack any tactical diversity and lack any yeah, plan B for want of a better word. And that's why in some way I'm kind of pleased that we're almost having this conversation about, okay, he's played Romeo in a <laughs> centre of a back three. Like it does show that there is some adjustment. He was proactive against United by bringing Bednarek on. But like, I, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Is it purely a product of, of that, that style of football that this will happen? Yeah, to be quite honest. Like, yeah, I think the other thing too is you've got to work with what you've got. And I don't think we necessarily do a bad, a good job of that. And we're kind of, we're in the midst of our season right now. And we start the season with, with 29 players. We're down to about 16. We've just been hit with injuries. Um, some players have just quit. It's just the nature of the beast over here that happens. But we've had to adjust system. We, we started in a 4-2-3-1. That's how we want to play. A couple of injuries forced us then into a 3-5-2. We had some success with it. Another injuries happened. We reverted to a 4-2-3-1. And to kind of go on your question about pressing and then tiring, we played a game Thursday night. We were in Nashville for a game and we 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 rode our like first 15 minutes, come out second half, sorry, the rest of the half, fine. Come out the second half, took the game to them, could have won two or three nil, 89th minute, we conceded. Because we were up the other end, we were smashing it, we were going after it every time they lost it, we were pressing right away. We didn't have the depth on the bench to make enough subs. Subbing's a little bit different over here, but still it's the same kind of principle of what you're kind of going to. Then we went and then this girl picked it up about 35 yards out, stabbed into three, just three players made lazy lunges defending, smacked it from 25 yards, goal. And it's the same thing. Like you're not going to get, you'd hope not, you hope you're not getting professional Premier League players lunging in, but it's, just, it's the same mindset, I think, of, you know what, they are tiring. And I think that's where the manager's got to earn his paycheck and make adjustments, especially when you're trying to grind out results. There's there's no shame for me in going 4-5-1, getting every player behind the ball and grind. Because we, we are going to be in a relegation fight. I, I firmly believe that. Mm-hmm. And we need to grind out every point that we can get. And I think there's there's no shame in just going right. This is what we have. This is what we are. Let's not try and I think that's I think that's the biggest thing for Samson right now is I think we're trying to be something that we're not. We're trying to be something we were five years ago, and we're not that anymore. Definitely. Look at the fitness side of it as well. I mean, we'll see it. We'll see this weekend. I know we'll talk about the Leeds game later, but of a team that plays well for ninety minutes, constantly pressing. Last season, twice, we were done in the second half by Leeds because they, their, their team is so fit and we're, we just don't, we haven't got the energy to keep up with them. I mean, I know they're so used to playing under Bielsa for the past few years. It's a similar team, but we shouldn't be that far behind in terms of pressing, for nine, being able to press for the best part of 90 minutes. A lot of it, I think, comes down to fitness as well. Yeah. I think very good points to finish on. With regards to our ramblings on the Chelsea game and beyond, we will take a very short break. 
we are going to do a little short section on the international break, given our club captain uh, bordering on sort of becoming a bit of a club legend, isn't he? I say that because did either of you see the fact that James Will Prowse took his Southampton bags with him to uh, England uh, duty? I did see that, yeah. It looked very... Uh... Very likely you just turned up at a school school uh, away game or something like that. Quite sort of JD Sports drawstring yeah. bag from when we were all nippers. Um, but yeah, good, good to see. And he scored. Uh, I, I like that him and others were laughing about his, his missed penalty. Anything to add? I mean, it was Andorra, right? But we, we were pretty decent on the whole and it was good to see him get minutes. They brought Andorra brought someone's granddad on in the first half. I don't know if you saw that. Guy called two forty two next yeah. week. I'm like, you've got uh, you've got Phil Foden going it like an old Foden, twenty twenty one going this guy forty one who looks like he was about to kill over at any moment. And he got I think he got stuck back out in the second half. Bless him. Did you see the tweet he did, Cox? He's so funny. The exact moment his hamstring goes and his face is an absolute picture. And he <laughs> tweeted something like, you know, the moment when the snipers got you. Uh, and then like tagged Sancho, who had just beaten him. And he was like legging it after him. But yeah, I mean, that was that was a stand of opposition. Quickly on Phil Foden. I mean, I, I, I'd love Phil Foden. I, I think most England fans would. But fucking hell, some of his passing over the top, just like the weight of them was just so good. And I appreciate it's Andorra, but we play Andorra and teams of a similar ilk quite a lot. No one stands out, I don't think, as much as, as he did in that game. He's so good. His feet are just ridiculous. I bet he can paint with them. He's just... I mean, he probably eats his dinner with his feet. They're probably better than his <laughs> Like, he's just... I mean, it's frightening. Like, the thing is, you worry about him. Like, you look at players in the park, like Jack Wilshere and things like that. You really don't hope the same thing happens to him. But I can't see it. I think he's had the best education with just, with Pep. And I think Pep deserves so much credit because how much time did he, like, have him on the bench? And he could have could have loaned him out to us. And he just kept him, he nurtured him, and then he's thrown him in. So, and I think a lot of people were saying, oh, he should go on loan, he should do this, when they've done it a certain way. And I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. Yeah. He's class. Actually, you talk about someone coming on loan to us. I watched a little bit of the under twenty ones when Tino, yeah, Tino came on the other night. He started tonight as well, which is you know kind of monitoring that game while we're chatting. But there's a lad called Cole Palmer who uh, left footed for. He's a City youngster. He scored a really nice goal against I think it was Slovenia under twenty ones the other night, and he's just not going to get into those like attacking positions in terms of the eleven for City. Um, but he looks a real talent and looks exactly like the sort of player that we we could do with. So I hope in some way we're keeping tabs on him. Otherwise, I'll ping this podcast to our, our scouting department. I'm sure they are in some form. Liam Delap as well. I mean, I'm only going for football manager, but he turns into an absolute legend. So keep an eye, keep an eye on him. Manager. <laughs> and Morgan Rogers, he's another one football manager. <laughs> Does the business. Yeah. There's also the Delap link, you know. Uh, another, record, well. another, another record signing for us. Father and father. I'm plugging a future episode when I'm going to release my conversation with Jeremy Wilson at the Telegraph, but some of the stories he had were brilliant. And he mentioned uh, the Roy Delap signing because he was covering us in the Daily Echo there. Really good conversation. But he also spoke a lot about Augustin Delgado, which was a name that, geez, I had not heard in a, yeah, in many years. 
Yeah. He scored one goal, didn't he, against Arsenal? Yeah, it was a terrible yeah. goal. Just hit his arse and went in. Yeah. So the story goes that it was just never any of the manager's decision to get this guy in and Rupert Lowe thought he'd found someone um, that was going to sort of change our fortunes. Anyway, uh, we, we didn't, digress. Didn't, one of our, didn't another chairman do a sign, sign similar to that a few years later with um, Daniel Zvaldo? <laughs> Let's not get into that, Sammy. Eh? He's in my <laughs> get into that. What's that? Danny Osvaldo is in my question later on. Oh, is he? <laughs> he's in it. He's not the answer. He's not the no. answer. He's no. part of the okay. question. Okay. Intrigued as to what that will be, what that will be, Paul. Um, I guess we can... Oh, in fact, a bit of news from the international break is that Shay's picked up an injury and that will be a perfect segue into our Leeds preview. Um, yeah, I assume this means that Armando Broger might get a start. He scored a very decent goal for uh, Albania over the weekend. Any any thoughts, feelings on the injury to Shea? Do you know much about it, Sam? How long is he is he supposed to be out for? No, I haven't heard much about it. I mean, it's just a muscle. They're being quite vague about it, muscle injury. But, yeah, I mean, for a team that's team that can't score like us we'd, we need, need all the attackers we can get so you'd imagine Broge will come in and, and start unless unless Rav goes the other way and, and thinks Nathan Teller should start in front of Armstrong to see how that goes but because then because then after, if, if um, Broge does start the next cab off the rank is one is one Irish striker called Shane Long which as we well, I'm sure we're aware I'm, I wouldn't be a massive fan of that if um, the worst comes to the worst on Saturday yeah, not ideal. I guess he hasn't started every Premier League game this season. And I think you know at least, Sam, that I am a Shea Adams fan. But look, if he's not performing and also now he's injured, it does open the, the pathway for someone else. We'll dive straight, straight into the Leeds preview. It's a huge game which sparks off a run of, I think it's five fixtures, which all look on the face of it winnable. I guess starting with um with you, Paul. How how do you see this one going? Leeds are such a strange team, aren't they? Like the way that the way that Bielsa does things. Yeah, this, the weird defending thing where they kind of man mark and just track all over the field, and it's kind of if, if you're a better man, and over two point five in every game they play is a banker. That it's just it's very open. So I I think for us like. Especially with the injuries now, I think that really, and you already alluded to it, I think, Luke, that a couple of injuries and our depth really starts to show. And Sam, you said it. We're looking, if, if Broja starts up front with Armstrong or Teller, the next thing is Shane Long. And that's just sad, actually, isn't it? Like, you have to laugh, otherwise you cry. Um, yeah. the, way, the way I'd approach it, I'd, I'd, I'd go for it in the first half. I'd, I think based on the like the stat information earlier where we kind of lose it in the second half, we've got to go for it in the first half and try and go go all out. And then the subs, I think, in the second half, like we've already kind of spoke to, just be brave and make a decision where we're going to defend ugly. You know, I think that's the way we've got to approach it, whether we do or not. But Leeds are such a strange team. But I think I read this morning, Rafinha's out, which is massive. Um, but Sam, you think Calvin Phillips is going to be back, or you've got a friend that thinks Calvin Phillips is going to be back? I've got, I mean, I've got a friend who thinks he should be back after obviously he's missing these England games this week. And we obviously know quite often players who miss international games are more, more actually fit again for um, for Premier League action. But yeah, we obviously struggled against them 
both times last season on that horrible pitch at Ellen Road, which completely ruined Oriol Romeo's the rest of Oriol Romeo's season last year. And then, I mean, it was a game I missed back in the last season where we, again, in the second half, almost collapsed against them at St Mary's. But they're going to give us chances. They're, they're very, they're, an, they're a team that play very open football and. You'd like to think on Saturday, we obviously not seen the best of Adam Armstrong yet, but my my guess would be he'll get a chance or two and he needs to take it because he needs a goal from somewhere. And yeah, it is a massive game and it's obviously starting a mass a big run of five fixed five or six fixtures that we need to be taking. Yeah, you know, I don't want to guess how many points we need to be taking from those fixtures, but we need at least probably three wins from those. Yeah. And um I was looking the other day and in our games this this calendar year against teams that are still in the leagues. So obviously, we beat um, Fulham and Sheffield United back in the second half of last season. We played 26 games against teams that are still in the Premier League. We've won three, drawn six, lost 17, scored 22, let in 55. So if you t- even if you take away the 9-0 at Old Trafford, that, that goal difference is worrying. So we need we need to step up at some point and um, start putting a, a string of results together. Three wins out of twenty six. That's criminal. Yeah, and also to your point, Paul, about saying how many goals we can see in the last minutes, or whatever. And you were saying I haven't done the research, and if we have won or lost, <laughs> I think if it's this year, you can bet your house on us losing. That, that that record is is abysmal, and, and we we desperately need to to turn it around. It's five games. We play Leeds at home, Burnley at home, two home games next. We've got the Chelsea League Cup fixture. We then are away at Watford, home to Villa, away at Norwich. And I'd like to say that, yeah, probably Watford and, and Norwich away, uh, in in my mind, appear like the the two most winnable games out of those five league fixtures. But the five in total. Are, are huge. I think, by the way, Paul, the news on Rafinha is that Brazil's international fixture is something like 36 hours before kickoff. So I think with the bigger teams, you know, like Alisson, Firmino, Fabinho probably won't play, but Rafinha is so pivotal to that Leeds team. And I think he's carried a bit of a knock this season, but is exceptionally fit as well, as most of Bielsa's players are. So who knows? Because it would be an absolute delight to not see him starting that game, but I'm, I'm fearful that he may well make a cameo at some point. I think it's going to be a really good watch. You look at City, Liverpool, Leeds, the three teams that I'd always want to be watching out of the Premier League teams. Like All of their games are just normally ridiculous. I think it was a game against Newcastle they played, which for the first half of football was just mental. The first half against us on Saturday could be quite mad as well specifically if we go for it I don't know if Ralph's got anything up our sleeve um, but I I don't know I feel like we can we can get a result and a decent one of that I think Armstrong it's a huge game for him Sam we will get chances I'll be interested to see what system we we start with but Armstrong I assume will occupy either one or, or one of the two striking spots I'd actually say the away fixture when the pitch was awful last season don't know if you remember the first kind of 15, 20 minutes of that game. We we looked really decent. Like our press was just catching them out. Obviously, they want to play a certain way, and we just kept nicking the ball off them. 
and, and getting chances and we just didn't put any of the way then absolutely collapsed so yeah i think um it's just a just a massive game i'm relatively nervous but sort of oddly optimistic maybe i shouldn't be <laughs> with their starters well they've only got one win this season haven't they yeah, was, yeah. their last game is Watford wasn't yeah. it so it's, it's probably the best mm. time to play them I think, what do you think? Is there is there a minimum amount of points that we need to get that, I don't want to bring this up because you covered it in the last pod, but is there a minimum amount of points that Ralph has to get to keep his job? For me, it's nine. Just going to throw it out there. Anything less than nine on your bike, son? I'd go along with, I don't know whether it's, I don't know whether it's keep, to keep his job, but I think in terms of us to have any sort of ambition of not being, not having a, a full season of struggle, we need, need at least nine points in those games. Yeah, I agree with that. Sam, stop kidding yourself, mate. We've got a full season of struggle coming up. We have, yeah. But if they are, to, if, I mean, obviously they're going to think we don't, we, the players and the, I mean, obviously you heard what Simmons was saying earlier on, on the, the other podcast that um, they want to be looking at seven to 12. If they've got any ambition of that whatsoever, which I, don't, yeah. I, think is, I think is high in the sky, personally, they need to be winning, getting <laughs> nine or 10 points in those games at least. Yeah, I, w- I would say, I'd say I'm thinking a minimum of nine. I, I, that sounds silly, right? But we are seven games without a win. We are playing, for my mind, I mean, Burnley, I think one of, we're one of the four teams. They're also one of the four teams without a win as well so far um, in the league. I, I, I just think that we have to be targeting nine points, maybe more. I mean... To, to, to come out of, that, of those five games with three wins and two losses doesn't, I don't know, maybe the bar is a bit too high for what we've seen so far this season, but I, I think it's a minimum of nine. I was actually watching a um, Premier League years the other day on, on Sky and uh, it was the 2004-2005 season right. and it was from the first eight games that season that we went down, we had five points. If we don't, if we lose on Saturday, we'll have four points in eight games. I can help. Always bringing the positivity on. Yeah, that's a that's a bleak sort of way to end the the Leeds preview. I just think it's going to be a hell of a watch, though. I'm really excited for it. Um, and I think if I was a neutral in this situation, it'd be a game that I'd be eyeing up to to ensure that I watch. Phillips being back would be big for them. They've still got no Bamford though, and I feel like you leave your thoughts about Patrick Bamford at the door. He is kind of central to what they do from both a pressing and a sort of functioning attack perspective. So I don't know. I, I do feel like we've got a chance. I think Lorente, Diego Lorente is back at centre-back for them because they play the young lad, Charlie Cresswell, before then. And they've also just shown that they are pretty weak defensively. I don't think Junior Furpo's sorted out that situation either coming in at left-back. So... I'm hopeful. Uh, I think your over 2.5 shout is probably an absolute gimme, um, Paul. Let's hope we uh, we get more of the overs than they do. Right, chaps, we'll, um, we'll move it on. The end of the pod is a bit of a bit of a free-for-all really just talk about stuff that um, you know we want to go over. I think Paul, you've got a cu- couple of questions for us. Yeah, do you want the serious one or do you want the, the funny one? And the good news or the bad news? I'll give you both. Let's do the serious one. We'll end on the good one. Funny one. Yeah. Right. So they say, I think, they say that when the, the playoff game is what, the £135 million game or something? 
Is that what they say? So let's I'm say we stay, in, we stay in the league. We stay in the league. We get 135 million every year. I'm going to give you 80 million pound to spend. You're the manager. 80 million to spend. Who are you like? And you can buy up to three players. Uh, you can buy up to five players if you want to. Who are you buying and for how much? Just ballpark. Oof. To improve our to improve the current squad, you have 80 million. We're being, we're being realistic, aren't we? Yeah, realistic. But I'm not, yeah, not, you know, not, not taking around putting Messi in there, things like that. Nah, realistic, who do you think we have a, sh- a shot of getting for 80 million? Where are the key areas that we need to improve? Where are you spending the money? I'm trying the goalkeeper. Yeah. Probably, I mean, we've been linked with him the last couple of weeks, Sam Johnston. Okay, how much are you spending? I mean, ignoring the fact he's coming up at the end of the season, I'd probably go 10, 10 million. Yeah, I'm all right with that. How many players can we buy? Sorry, Coxie. Uh, let's say five. Max of five. Can I buy 11? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to do what your new team's going to look this. We'll go, we'll say four to six. You can all have a pick each. We'll do it together. So Sam's picked Johnson for 10 million. So I'm writing down the team now. So you've got Johnson in goal. I suppose, Luke, you get to buy the next player. Who's your right back? Are you keeping Livermento? Yeah, I'd, I'd keep Tino uh, fullback. So, as a centre back, would you want to sign a new one? Are you keeping one and adding one? I'd want to sign a new one. <laughs> Pick the centre back, Luke. Without well, skipping a beat. What formation? I want to sign a new one. The four-two-two-two. Is that what we're going to play? I guess we have to do that, don't we? Yeah. So we're going realistic here. I'll I'll give two names. I'm not I'm not saying that uh, unless you want me to be strict on that. But a centre back. Given our kind of good relationship with Chelsea, I thought Trevor Chalaber looked class. And I think long-term, he's not going to quite make the grade at a team like Chelsea. So someone like him, if we want to do similar to Palace have done with the likes of Anderson and Gahey and fork out 25, 30 million on a young centre-half, Trevor Chalaber would be a name that I'd want to want to put forward. Um, but if we just remain in the centre-half position, there is uh, a guy at Stoke, who is getting a lot of attention called Harry Sutar. He is an absolute giant. I've not seen a great deal of him, but I read an article on him. I think he's like six foot six, six foot seven. He has just started the season unreal for Stoke and already attracting quite a lot of um, Premier League attention. He's also, he plays for Australia. He's half Scottish, half Australian. And I think he scored six in six for the uh, Australian national team from centre-half. So he's a hell of a threat from set-pieces, which obviously we lack now. We've not got big uh, big Yannick. So yeah, two names. But I'd say that Trevor Chalaber would be someone of that ilk I'd want at centre-back. All right, we'll go with Chalaber then. How much are you spending? What would, what would it take? Yeah, 20. Okay, so who's partnering Chalaber at the back? We keep in... Salisu. Salisu? I'd, I'd keep Mohamed, yeah. I'd keep Salisu there. Left back? I'm fairly happy with the left back. Left backs. Who, which one would you start in, in our formation? Barode. Barode. Happy with that, Luke? I'm happy with that. It does open up the whole debate about how suited is KWP to full back, etc. But I guess if we think we're sorted at right back, whoever plays there out of those two, Tino or KWP, but Perode at left back. I'm guessing Paul Prowse is going to be one of your sitting midfielders. Yeah. Yeah. You have a side in. You shine so sandwich. You're the next transfer. So you can pick, you can put a current player next to him or you can buy someone. You've got 50 million left. 
I'm buying. I'm buying something. <laughs> you buy. I'm. Holding oh, field now. Somebody's actually good. Where's the black box? You need it. I've been quite close to the black box before. Got really? a tour of the training ground. I was on the other side of the door. It's the one room they wouldn't let me go in. Oh, right. I bring back Morgan Schneider from ten years ago. I can uh, take it now. What sort of player do we want alongside JWP? Because I think I think Romeo has his has his talents, has his notable deficiencies. But what what do we want next to JWP that we haven't currently got? A more Great. mobile bruiser, I think. Yeah, like like Wanyama. Yeah, for sure. But let's do this. Like that sort of sort of Wilfred and Deedy type. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're obviously never going to sign someone of that quality, but like, I'm, that's the sort of player that I've got in my mind. I can't think of who fits that and is realistic. So, how about this? Let's let's fill in the gaps. Which is, I'll t- tell, tell you who I'd love. Say for 25, 30 million. I don't know, I don't think he fits the the criteria we said, but Conor Gallagher. We like going off going off going off to Chelsea again. But yeah, Conor Gallagher would be, would be I'm ideal. Happy with that. Okay, he's in. I'd love that. I think he's. Be be, I reckon it could be. It could be a lot that takes him away from Chelsea. I reckon oh, it could be thirty. Oh, you know, we'll go twenty-five. We need, we need some money left. Okay, say yeah. twenty-five because you know there's going to be a buyback clause in there. <laughs> We've now got so it's twenty-five million now for four players. We've signed three. Um, so we've got four four players. We split in the lineup. Who are you going to be? A two wide tens or whatever. Armstrong one. Yeah, I'm sure one than none of the other ones. And then, are you keeping any of the current forwards? No, Sam. I'm not having that. What, what um, do you mean strikers? Do you mean strikers? The ones that are supposed to put the ball in the back of the net. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm not keeping the number 10s. Oh, fuck, keeping... fuck, fuck, fuck them all off. <laughs> Apart from Armstrong. Which, which striker? Yeah, no, I'm done. I'm done with a number 10 strike. I'm keeping Adam Armstrong and I'm keeping Shea Adams, but potentially not Shea Adams to start. All right, you guys have got 25 mil for a number 10. I'll tell you who you can bring on a free, Pella. What's him doing? The hard, the hard pressing. <laughs> he did hint at that. Do you see it on his Instagram, sir? He's done it, he's done it a couple of times, hasn't he? But I think he's, I don't know what he's doing. He bloody loves it, doesn't he? 25 minutes on 10. Who from Chelsea's youth team can you get for 25 minutes? <laughs> well, I mentioned him earlier. I think I think that Cole Palmer is a player from what I've seen of him. Brief cameos for City and England under-21s. He looked fucking decent. I, I would say that I'd want someone a little bit more proven than that. Proven creator who... His numbers from a goal-scoring and assisting perspective are good, which we've kind of covered this in previous podcasts. None of our number 10s deliver when it comes to that. Even Stuart Armstrong, for all his you know, ability, I think we'd want someone who is who is that sort of contributor. Is, is there someone in the championship? Because you've got to think, James Madison came from Norwich when they were in the championship for 25 million. Uh, Ezzy well. Eze from QPR was 25 million. Um. We have actually been linked with him, but um, but yeah. Fabio Carvalho is the is the young. He scored against us last season, didn't he? 
he did really nice goal actually but I think he's been linked with some big big clubs including Real Madrid um but that sort of player again I mean how how sort of proven is that but I'd want I'd want like a standout attacking midfielder from the championship or from, you know, maybe one of the leagues that isn't quite the top five leagues in Europe, but someone like that. That needs to be our big money signing for me, that position and a goalkeeper. We we have to look to get someone in who is a like a bona fide, really good winger or attacking midfielder. Who's in the championship these days? I tell you who would have been good. He just he left West Brom and he just went to like Saudi Arabia. Was oh, that? Pereira. Pereira. He would have done a job for you. Yeah. Um, this is what I got for your team: Johnston, Livermento, Shalaba, Salisu, Peru, Walprouse, Gallagher, Armstrong, Carvalho. Just throwing them in, or to be determined, Adams and Armstrong. I'd be happy with that team. I mean, it's better if you think about that long-term plan that Simmons has got, does it, where does it finish in the Premier League? Is it between seven and seven and 12 in his mind? I'd say so. Yeah, seven and 12, I think we could get on the back end of it. I don't think seven, I think back end of it, you could. Yeah, maybe top, top, top of the bottom half, if, if, if you like. Yeah, Pereira is a hell of a shout. I, I love someone like that. Uh, or, or, I mean, like someone like Ismail Assar, but not Ismail Assar because he's probably going to go for about sixty million when he when he moves. But like that, just is always creating, always like productive in terms of his output. That that's the sort of player that I'd love us to go after. Benarama as well. Now he was at Brentford, then went to West Ham. There's somebody there yeah. that's got to be available of some sort. There is, I think. There's a lad, I think his name's Callum O'Hare for Coventry City, who there's been comparison to him and Grealish. I think his hair is very similar to Jack Grealish's, but he's had a hell of a start to the season for Coventry. Um, that, again, I think you'd want someone that's maybe done it at that level or beyond for a bit longer. But again, I, th- I think there is talent to be picked up there. I think it's a good one to end it on. Have you got a pen and paper? I don't need it necessarily, but here's the thing. Is this as funny as your question that you wanted us to ask Dean Hammond? I think so. <laughs> Same theme. It's a Royal Rumble. It's a Royal Rumble, and you, I'm going to give you eight Southampton players, and they're the last eight in the Royal Rumble. And you've got you can go back and forth. So Sam, you can knock one out. Then Luke, you can knock one out until we've got a winner. And maybe when we get yeah. to the final two, we can maybe edit the maybe edit out when the cop says Luke, you can knock one out. <laughs> that would just be the caption for yeah. this part. Actually, <laughs> I'll just I'll cut that right there. The these are the final eight. And then Saints, former, former, or there's no current players. You've got Ken Monkow, Ulrich Van Gobel, David Prutton, Danny Osvaldo, Thomas Heito, Lee Barnard, Arthur Boric, and Franny Benali. They're the last eight in a Royal Rumble. So who wants to go first? Who's knocking one out? And going to get someone out of the Royal Rumble? I'll knock out Benali. Benali, to start with. Because I know know no one would. I know no no one's going to do it. Sorry, Coxie, who was the second player you said? Ulrich van Gobel. He wasn't very very good. He was physically fit. He runs a lot of... 
marathons and stuff. So Sam, you're going for him first. Do you think you could, he'd be easiest to to knock out out of the eight that we've been given? I mean, I think the ref would get knocked out of France to him. There wouldn't be a ref to him there, would there? (laughs) So you still Van, get finale first, yeah? Yeah, Van, Van Gobel can go. He was, he was, he was, he was shit. Okay, he's gone first. Van Gobel goes out. He was eight. six foot, by the way. Well, he still is, uh, uh, unless he's shrunk. So I reckon Van Gobel can handle himself, you know. I've, I've just Googled the guy. I reckon you're wrong there, Sam. But if he's out first, Prutton's out next. Prutton's he's gone next. Seven. Who's going six, Sam? Finale. Finale. I mean, see if he's trying to raise money. And, and, uh... <laughs> He'll see like a GoFundMe page in the yeah. uh, <laughs> crowd. Like, oh. I on, remember Thomas Haito being quite tall. Wasn't he, yeah, wasn't he, 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 he was in prison? He loved it. Oh, I should have put John B. He was in prison. Yeah, he was found guilty of manslaughter. What, Thomas Haito? Yeah. yeah. In, the, in his car. It, it run, run someone over. Not amazing, but you know what I mean. <laughs> amazing. And he was also, he'd earlier been fined in 2004 for dealing in smuggled cigarettes. Right, Haito is a nasty piece of work. He's definitely not getting knocked out next. Uh, I'm, I might go, unless I'm forgetting a name, because there's two, there's two lads I'm just not messing with, and, and they're the last two for me. I've just said one of them. Ken Moncow? Gone. I, gone I, I, I thought Ken would go next, to be honest. Unlike Ken Barlow, who won the one for Dean Hammond. <laughs> you, you did that. You simulated that yourself, Coxie. Uh, he is 56 years old now, Ken Moncow. So, but, no, obviously, in their, their physical peak, we're talking about here, aren't we? Lee, Lee Barnard's gone next. Oh, fucking hell. I forgot about Lee Barnard. Lee Barnard would be well gone. He's yeah, gone he's because, gone. I mean, he only, he, only, he only got arrested so he's pissed off. Someone would have found him, found him hiding under the ring. <laughs> I think we're down to the last two. It's Thomas, it's Thomas Haito and Arthur Boric, isn't it? No, and Danny Osvaldo. Danny Osvaldo. Oh, fucking hell. Uh, yeah, I... Oh, geez, that's a bit of a curveball. I'm going Danny Osvaldo next. We've just unearthed brand new information about Haito's criminal past. I don't think we can overlook that. Haito, is Haito Polish as well? Yeah, yeah, it's a Polish face. Polish final. You can both talk about who's going to win, Haito or Boric. Boric is winning. Boric is winning. Boric was winning as soon as his name came up. The guy would just punch himself in his own face prior to starting a football match. I I would look at him and just jump over the top rope myself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What is he? We actually need a sort of more strength in depth there. Where is he in the world? I'm Googling it. Is he at Le- is he Ledger Wars? That's what I thought he's... he was. Oh, that makes so much sense, doesn't it? Yeah. But he's still, he's good question. Like, he used to always cross himself, didn't he? All right. Yeah. He did it. He did it. I popped. So he went down quite well. Chaps, I've got a sausage and bean stew, which has been looking at me for the last 27 minutes. And my missus is itching to get stuck into it. <laughs> I've got a chili uh, as well. Oof, lovely stuff. Cox, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Yeah, um, lovely, Good catching up. I'm hoping, hoping this is the first of many and, uh, and you'll be back very soon. Oh, definitely. Any, um, any final bits of, of, uh, of news or any stories to finish on? Sam, got anything else to say for yourself? That's good for me tonight, mate. 
quick one, which I, I did have on my agenda, my very thoroughly planned agenda. Uh, Kamari Doyle, our 15-year-old who's playing in the B team, is in the Guardian's next generation list of like all the best youth players in, in the Premier League right now. So call that out. Um, and he scored a belting free kick not that long ago, which he practiced with JWP. So quite a sweet story. And the fact he's been named in that. Wanted to shout that out before the pod's over. Coxie, any last words? No, mate. Loved it. You go eat your sausage and bean melt or whatever it was you said. <laughs> yeah, I've been to, I've been to Greg's. You make it sound uh, like you kicked up his stew. You make it sound like to Greg's instead. I miss Greg. <laughs> I'm just off to Greg's. I'll see you later. <laughs>